decisions, decisions, decisions. All day long we make decisions. I was kind of thinking about some of the decisions we make. Do you want regular coffee or cream or sugar? Maybe that's one of the first ones we make. Actually, now it's like, do you want regular coffee or cream, sugar, vanilla, caramel, pumpkin spice, whipped cream, almond milk, oat milk. There are too many choices nowadays, I think. What should you wear to work? If you're like me, sometimes I put my clothes out the night before, not because I want to be prepared, just because I'm so tired in the morning. I don't always want to make a decision. Should I like my friend's post on Instagram? You know, that whole type of thing. Maybe one of the more important decisions we're going to talk about is, do you want fries with that? That's a pretty important decision. Should I interrupt this meeting to tell the person leading the meeting that their zipper is down? You better believe that I checked before I got up here. How long should I wait to go to the bathroom while Adam is talking? That might be a decision that you're asking yourself. Will I go to church? Will I go to church next week? Like, am I even paying attention right now? Decisions. We make decisions all day, every day. And some decisions are mundane. Some we don't even think about. They're inconsequential. And some are incredibly, maybe vitally important. So how many decisions do you think that you make every day? I really want you to come up with a number. If you're here with somebody, like lean over and tell that person, you know, lock in your number like you're on a game show or something like that. If you're online, put the number in the comments. Like, what do you think? How many decisions do you think you make? Starting with, should I hit snooze and then hit snooze again and then hit snooze again? Like, starting there all the way through, you know, should I close my eyes before I go to bed? Should I put my screen down? You know, whatever it is. How many decisions? You got it locked in? It's estimated that the average adult makes about 35,000 decisions every day. Anybody get close? I guess I was way under. I don't know. Now, researchers at Cornell University did a study, and they came up with 35 decisions every day, and they also estimate that we make 226.7 That's a math guy right there who decided that, right? 226.7 decisions about one specific topic. Want to guess? Food. 226.7 decisions. You're probably making a decision about food right now. Like, where am I going to eat? How many decisions will I make? Like, do I want fries with that? Like, that's what we're we're thinking. Now, different question. What's the most important decision that you make every day? Out of the 35,000 decisions, what's the most important one? That's a more difficult question to answer. Does it have to do with your loved ones, your job, maybe your health, your sleep? I mean, your food, because we're thinking about that a lot. Here's what I believe. The most important decision we make, really every day, is about Jesus. And yes, I am a pastor. Yes, I am contractually obligated to think this, maybe but it has the added benefit of being true. Like I really genuinely believe the decision that we make about Jesus every day is the most important decision we can make or will make or have thought about or talked about or do something about. 
It's the most important, 100%. And here's why. See, this decision about Jesus, who is Jesus, what do we believe about Jesus, sets up every single aspect of our lives in a different way. It impacts everything. Deciding what we believe about Jesus impacts how we view ourselves. It impacts how we view other people. It impacts how we view our community or our world, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we treat other people in the grocery store line. Uh, Some of you need reminded of that after this past week. How we view politics or how we view entertainment or how we view life or how we view death is all wrapped around this decision about Jesus. I mean, do you want fries with that is impacted by Jesus because we should be healthy? I I had to fit it in there somewhere. See, there aren't any other decisions in our lives than this one. I mean, deciding what we believe about Jesus ends up determining everything else. It it, it ends up impacting our eternity. There's no middle ground, really. This decision fundamentally changes everything. Now, we've been in this series that we've called The Week That Changed the World. And it's really talking about the events that led up to Easter And it makes up a good portion of what's called the Gospels. That's the second half of the Bible. The New Testament starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four books about the good news is what gospel means. The good news of Jesus, about his life and his ministry. And we've been talking about kind of this week that leads up to Easter. Now we started this series with something called the triumphant entry or... Palm Sunday, today is actually kind of the start of the week that led up to Easter. So today is Palm Sunday when people kind of brought, you know, branches out and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, and and like celebrated Jesus like he was a king. And then we've talked about the Last Supper and all the history that kind of is jam-packed into this one week. And Jesus is making that right. And we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed for God's will to be done even in his suffering and he took the final steps into the days and minutes before Easter. And now we kind of ended last week with everyone that Jesus knew and everyone that he was counting on deserting him. Judas, one of his followers and disciples, had betrayed Jesus. All of his other followers had scattered as Jesus was arrested. And today we're going to talk about what happened next. And really we're going to talk about the opportunity that people had to decide about who Jesus really is. So we're going to pick up this story in Matthew chapter 26, verse 57. Check this out. Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, awesome name, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. Now, Peter, one of the disciples, ended up denying Jesus three times this night. Actually, Jesus predicts this. He says, hey, by the end of the night, Peter, you're going to say that you don't know me three times by the time that the rooster crows. Like, that's, that's a pretty big flex by Jesus. He's like, I'm not just going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen right after that happens. I mean, that's like me saying, hey, the next play in football is going to be a pass and another pass and then run up the middle. Like, it is a, a huge like prediction. And the thing is, that's not what we're going to be talking about today, actually. We're not going to be talking about Peter very much at all. But 
It is an amazing example of how we have this opportunity sometimes to decide over and over and over again about who Jesus is. And Peter, eh, he doesn't turn out too well in this story. He comes back around, but he didn't have much bravery in this story. He, He decides to kind of say, I don't know him. But this is what happens right kind of after this. This is verse 59. So inside where where they've gathered together, they're kind of putting Jesus on trial. And the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. And this is really important to understand. The people who'd gathered here for this trial were the religious leaders. They were the most well-educated. They were the most well-respected people kind of in this religious community. They're called the high council or the fancy party word. I don't know what parties you go to, but the parties I go to, you can say words like Sanhedrin and people are impressed. So that's what this high council is called. It's called the Sanhedrin. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't. Maybe you'll never hear it again. It's fine. But they would have been well-respected, well-educated, and it probably won't surprise you that it was against the law to lie about what you were being a witness in a trial. It's against the law now, It was against the law then, and still they were desperately trying to find a way to accuse people, to accuse Jesus, so that they could get him out of the way. And the moral blindness here is kind of rich. It's kind of of silly. The most well-respected, the moral, ethical people are the ones kind of trying to trick people. In verse 60, this is what happens. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness... People were willing to lie. They could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. So the moral, the ethical leaders are trying to get people to lie, which is ridiculous. And then lots of people were willing to lie, which is also ridiculous, but they wouldn't lie the same lie. So it wouldn't stand up in Jewish court. See, the law was at least two people had to testify for it to count in court. So one person was like, well, Jesus kicked me in you know, the shin. And another person was like, well, Jesus spit in my eye. And they're like, well, that's close, but that's not, that's not quite what we're looking for. It had to be exactly the same. So two men finally came forward and said the same thing. And this is why it's hilarious. They actually told the truth. Jesus did say that he would rebuild the temple. They just didn't understand what he meant. They took him literally. See, Jesus said he would rebuild the temple. And what he was saying is that he is the temple, that he was about to go on the cross, that he was about to die, and he was going to be raised again in three days. That's what he meant. But they heard him say, he's going to tear down the temple. And they're like, well, that's not okay. And they took him literally. And verse 62, then the high priest stood up and looked right at Jesus and said, well, Aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And that statement kind of right there is maybe the most important statement that Caiaphas says in this story. Because our answer to kind of that question, like, well, who are you? Are you the Son of God? Kind of drastically changes the way that we live. And in verse 64, you know, Jesus replied, well, you've said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the 
place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. See, Jesus didn't come out and say, you bet your sweet bippy. That's probably what I would have said. I don't even know what that means. Let's not dig into it. It might be inappropriate. (laughs) But he did do something that he kind of made sure that they would understand. He, he, he made sure that they would, they would be able to grasp what he was saying. He wasn't mincing words. He wasn't being confusing. Like he was making sure they knew that he was saying he was God in the flesh, that he wasn't a revolutionary. He wasn't a leader, that he was actually God in the flesh. That's really what he's saying here. And they responded to this. This is verse 65. This is what they said. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, blasphemy. Why do we need other witnesses? You've all heard his blasphemy. So he was trying to get Jesus to, he's trying to trick Jesus in, like to, kind of to perjure himself. But Jesus says to everybody, yes, I am the, the son of God. I am God. I'm equal to God. And the response seems a little drastic. I have not interacted with very many people who rip their clothing. You know, like that's not, that's not really a thing now. But we forget, I think, that this would have been shocking to them. So, so think about this. Think about if somebody came to you and said they were an extraterrestrial from another planet. And after the jokes kind of subsided and we stopped making fun of them to their face or whatever, it would be kind of shocking. We'd kind of go, prove it, E.T., like phone home, like tell us what's going on. But not only was this kind of shocking and unexpected, this to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, was offensive. They understood that Jesus was claiming to be God. They understood exactly what he was saying. So what is blasphemy? That can be a confusing term. Let's just simplify a little bit. It's intentional disrespect of God, really. And that could be a lot of different things. It's ridiculing God. It's attributing the works of God and calling them the works of the devil. Blasphemy is going against God's name or going against God's character or going against God's work or going against God's attributes. But I missed this before. Maybe, maybe you are with me. What Jesus said would have been blasphemy if it wasn't true. See, if Jesus were just a man claiming to be God, he would have been a blasphemer. They certainly actually thought that he was claiming to be something he couldn't possibly be. He was unexpected. They were expecting a military leader, and that wasn't what Jesus was. And verse 66 and say, what's your verdict? See, he's on trial. The people are listening. And here it is. This is the question. This is the question that we have to answer. This is the decision that we have to make. What's your verdict? Who is Jesus? And they decided, they said guilty, meaning that he was a blasphemer. He deserves to die. 
And then verse 67, then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering, prophesy to us, you Messiah, who hit you that time. And this story, when I read it, it is incredibly easy to be critical of the religious leaders, right? Like we know the end of the story and we're like, what fools, what hypocrites. We see them as breaking their own rules, which they did, by the way, getting people to lie. We see them treating someone with disrespect and hate. We see them being so incredibly wrong and at face value, they thought that he was going against everything that they believed in. But the reality is there's something in this story that I think we all need to confront. We all need to deal with. And there's no better time to deal with this than the week before Easter because these leaders made a decision and it's the most important decision ever. The question is, Who is Jesus? That's a question we wrestle with. It's a question they wrestled with. And for our sake today, we're going to break down the answer to the question in three different ways. Three different possible responses to this question. Because he's either a big old huge liar, either he's a lunatic and he's out of his mind, or he is who he says he is. And he's our Lord. So who is Jesus? These options are helpful as we kind of think about what we believe and why we believe it. And they obviously did not think that he was who he said he was. So they wanted him out of the picture. So what do you say? Who is Jesus? Let's go to the first one. Is Jesus a liar? You know, just a normal guy intentionally lying. Like this is the option of people that I've interacted with, maybe had a conversation with, that decided one day to, to, to go like, hey, I, I don't think that Jesus is like a terrible person or whatever. I think he existed, but I just think he was just a, a normal, normal guy who had some moral teachings. You know, he just fibbed a little bit. Like this would be like if I said, like, I am the, the son of God. I am not. I'm not. But it's, it's no different, right? A normal person just intentionally lying about who they are. But if Jesus knew for a fact that he wasn't God, that, that he was just a liar, he would be the biggest hypocrite in the world. He would have deliberately told people to trust him for eternity. Because he's changing all of this stuff in the way that they believed. He's saying, you can trust me for eternity when he knows that he shouldn't be trusted. That would actually make him incredibly evil. You can't say that he's a liar and he has good moral teachings. If he's a liar, he's terrible. So who is Jesus? Do you think he's a liar? Do you actually believe what he says? And perhaps you're like, okay, well, there's another option here. It doesn't just have to be that he was intentionally kind of doing anything. Maybe he thought he was God, but he just wasn't. Like he was mistaken. Well, that's the lunatic option. That he's a crazy guy, unintentionally lying. Like he wasn't lying on purpose. Like he actually thought he was who he said he was, but he's not. And when I read about Jesus in the Bible, a few things stick out to me that really battle this idea. Because this idea is probably the most attractive one other than he is who he says he is. 
So I just want to say, a lot of Jesus' teachings are universally accepted. Isn't that interesting? Even people who don't believe in Jesus think that some of the stuff that he says is good stuff, like love others, like treat others the way that you want to be treated. There's all sorts of things that we believe that Jesus actually said or the Bible actually says. And when you add in some other things, did you know that the Bible is incredibly consistent with itself, but history is actually incredibly consistent with what happens in the Bible as well? And people don't really argue that Jesus existed, and they don't really argue that he was good. They argue that he wasn't who he said he was. And do you understand? You start to see how maybe misguided that is. If he's consistent in history, and if Scripture is consistent with itself over thousands of years, by the way, with all sorts of different authors... See, these aren't characteristics of a madman. And then you think about, well, what does he teach? Well, he teaches about wisdom, and he teaches about compassion, and he teaches about how the first should be last, and he should humble himself. And Jesus models that over and over and over again. He's not putting himself first. He's not saying you need to do these certain things. He's saying, no, I love you, and I desperately want to make your relationship with God right. He helps people. He draws people to him. He talks about forgiveness. That is the most sane, crazy person I've ever heard of. So is he a huge liar? Is he a well-intentioned, crazy guy? Or Jesus is who he says he is. He's our Lord and he's our Savior. And the religious leaders didn't believe this, obviously. They decided to murder Jesus. However, I truly believe, I truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus is our Savior. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus did come out of love to make us right with God. That he really did get up on the cross. He really did raise again three days later. He really did that out of love for me and you and entire history. Which means that he is our Lord. He is our ruler. That we should surrender to him because he is the most loving, most kind, most wise. He provides hope and joy and peace and measure we can't understand because he is God in the flesh. That he decided he loved us so much that he would be with us. That he would send his spirit to be with us. See, that's what it means that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. That he's our friend, our provider. But if Jesus is Lord, like we talked about, and we make a decision to follow him, it should change the way we live. If he's Lord, what does that mean for you and me today? Well, I think first it means that we should follow him. Can you imagine, you know, saying that you know Jesus and you don't know anything about him or you don't spend any time with him? I mean, Sometimes we do that with a celebrity or a famous figure that we've never met. And then we act like we know him. Like, I know a lot about Peyton Manning, y'all. But uh, he doesn't know me. Following Jesus means to spend time with him. And if you don't know what you believe about this Jesus stuff, I encourage you, start here. Spending time with Jesus. Just follow him for a little while. Read his words in the Bible. You know, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's talking about the good news that we're talking about today. And maybe you have made a decision to follow Jesus. And we can talk about that today. Or maybe you've made a decision, but it's never really changed anything in your life. You've never really done anything. 
other than say, maybe even to yourself, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is who he says he is. So I just want to stop just for a moment. If that's you, if you said, you know, I do believe this. I I don't know what to, to do with it yet, but I do believe this. I think a next step for you might be baptism. Here's what baptism is. It's this outward expression of the inward decision to follow Jesus. So we get into water, and water represents, when you go down into the water, it represents being dead to our sin. It kind of represents what Jesus did going down into the grave. And then we come up out of the water, it represents being alive in Christ. There's nothing magic about the water or anything like that. And it does seem a little weird out of context. But all we're doing is we're saying, look, I do believe this. I do believe, I do want to follow him. We have baptisms coming up in a couple of weeks, actually. And if you're interested in that, I'd encourage you, talk to me, talk to somebody today. You won't regret it. Following Jesus should impact the way that we live. So talk to him, spend time with him, pray with him. He isn't some you know, distant figure with a blue check mark on Twitter. Apparently you can buy those now, which is cool. And he's not big God, little you either. I know it feels like that maybe. And yes, God is bigger than our understanding, but he chose to be with you. How incredible is that? Here's, here's the second thing that we can do maybe because we believe that he is Lord. We obey him. See, it's not just following him and spend time with him. It's starting to align our life with him. We live out our faith. And I know sometimes we make this complicated, but the simplicity is when you spend time with someone, you become more like them. Have you ever seen, you know, the pictures of a couple who've been married for like, you know, a hundred years and they're like, they look exactly the same. (laughs) And then you see their dog and you're like, the dog looks like them too. (laughs) Like, how is that true? See, spend time with Jesus. It doesn't stop with just knowing him. And if you spend time with Jesus, I believe that he starts to transform you, change you from the inside out. That not only do we follow him, do we say, yes, I believe, and I'm going to begin to kind of step with you, but I also am going to change the way that I live my life fundamentally. I'm going to see what you have to say first before I'm going to do it on my own. That's what it means for him to be Lord, ruler, kind of have authority in our life. And I believe these two things, if we follow Jesus and then we obey Jesus, then eventually it leads to this. We worship Jesus. And this is really what Easter is all about. Next week, think about this. I love this. People around the world gather together because they believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Not just here. Not just down the street. Around the world. And by the time that we wake up, half of the world has already celebrated what Jesus did on Easter that we have this opportunity to talk about him, pray to him, sing songs about him, sing songs to him, celebrate what he did on the cross because we actually believe he is who he says he is. We worship him. And here's one more that I want to have you consider this week. This is a timely one. Maybe this is a way to do all three of these things. I encourage you to invite others to join us. I think uniquely around Easter, people are open to spiritual conversations. And I recently interacted with something that really kind of blew me away. That only two out of ten people who say that they go to church 
have invited somebody to go to church with them over the past year. There's not very many, actually. And that people would be willing to go if they were invited. See, I think inviting others to join us in what we're doing and following and obeying and in worshiping Jesus is the most loving thing that we could possibly do. See, if we actually believe what we say, we believe that Jesus did die on the cross, that he did rise again on the third day, the most unloving thing we can do is be apathetic about them making that decision. Do you see? So if you have friends coming over, if you have a friend that you know doesn't know what they think or is open to spiritual conversations, invite them. And I don't mean like invite them like as casually as you can, like, you know, like covertly slip them the invite and then walk away. That's not what I mean. I mean, actually talk to them. If you love them, invite them. Because I promise you, we will talk about the hope of Jesus. But hear me though, if you believe Jesus is Lord, the most caring thing we can possibly do is invite somebody to know him too. So I'd like to encourage you, make one invite. Make one invite. We, we even have tools for you to do this. We have some ways to craft a message. We have you know, the graphics that you see around. You have invites in your chair. You can go to the QR code. You can go to theridge.org slash invite. But I challenge you, don't ignore this. This is not someone else's responsibility. This is all of our responsibility. If we actually believe that he is Lord, that he is who he says he is, we should want other people to know that and make that decision too. So I'd encourage you, invite somebody. Pray about who you should invite. Pray before you invite them. Pray after. Go with them. Sit with them. Take them to lunch. Do what you need to do to make them feel comfortable. But I promise you, not only will we talk about the hope of Jesus, but we plan actually every single service that we do here at the Ridge with your friend in mind. So what's your answer to the question? Who is Jesus? Is he a big old liar? I almost said big old fat liar, but that feels weird to call Jesus a big old fat anything. (laughs) Is he a lunatic who doesn't even know what's going on? Or is he actually who he says he is? He's actually kind. He actually is loving. He actually is the Son of God. He actually is our Lord, worthy of our praise. Someone we can follow, someone we can know, someone we can obey, someone we can worship. One that we want to invite our neighbors, our friends, our families to get to know. See, it's a decision you make every day. And not making a decision, by the way, is making a decision. Because the The last option on here is, I don't care. See, this isn't something that you can ignore forever. It's not something that you can push down the road. It's something that when you're asked, your response matters. So who is he? Who is he to you? It's your turn to decide. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you are who you say you are. I'm so grateful that you loved us so much that you decided to become flesh and bones. That God himself, that you would humble yourself to come and love us and to guide us and to teach us. That you would 
willingly climb up on the cross. You would willingly be tortured. You would willingly step into our place for where we fall short for our mistakes, for our sin. And that the cross is not the end of the story. The cross isn't even the only thing we celebrate over this next week. See, the cross is Friday. The empty tomb is Sunday. That you have not just done something for us, but you have fundamentally changed the way we can live because of your hope and your joy and your peace and your power and your provision. So help us live like that matters. Help us live like you actually are who you say you are. And that Easter is not just a calendar day. It's not just a holiday. It's not just something that we do one day, one ear out the other. That Easter is the remembering of who you are, what you've done, and what you will promise to do in heaven. And that we can celebrate worship and invite somebody else to be a part of that because it matters that much to us. We love you, and I'm thankful for your love of us. That's beyond what I can understand. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.